Well, I'm so glad that you've joined us today uh, for part three of the series we're calling Intentional Living. And want to take a moment and just welcome those of you, I've already mentioned it, but those of you, I've already mentioned it, but those of you who are watching online or online campus, uh, we have seen the footprint of Timber Creek go way beyond the timber country of East Texas. It's been a big surprise. We have people in several different continents, not only uh, several different states, but several continents. We were just asked just the other day, is there any way you could start a Timber Creek church in Nairobi, uh, Kenya, Africa. And uh, so just want to shout out to all of our uh, guys and girls joining us on the continent of Africa alone. And uh, everybody, this, this is an international deal going on. So Timber Creek Church, Lufkin, Texas, are you kidding me? We're going global, everybody. And uh, Hey, listen, if you are in the timber country of East Texas and Timber Creek locations are within a driving distance for you, but you're still online, you're not ready to show up uh, socially um, in person, uh, I know you're, you're dealing with that tension of when's the right time, and, and I get it. Well, what I wanna ask you is this, um, set at least an answer to the question, when is the right time? So if you're able to come back to church uh, physically, um, what are you waiting on? If it's, if it's va vaccination, if it's uh, numbers to go to a certain level, identify that because here's the deal, we miss you. And we love that you're a part of the online campus. Some of you have no other choice to be uh, online with us, but if you're able to be with us in person, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to shame you, I'm not trying to twist your arm, but I am telling you that there's just something about being part of, of the local body in a way that we can see each other face to face and we can interact. And I'm just telling you the atmosphere on our campuses is, is a breath of fresh air. And so when you're ready, first of all, define what that looks like. And then when you see that, let's go. Come on, let's, let's come back and be a part. In the meantime, we're so glad that you're joining us here. And, and as you navigate that tension, we're actually talking about that today. We've started every one of these messages of this series with this statement, life is full of tensions. Some good tensions and some bad tension. A good tension is the tension you place on, on a string of a guitar and the tighter you place that tension, a different note will, will be uh, created on that guitar and you can place tension on the different strings on the neck of that guitar and it can create beautiful music. You can also have tension where a thumb is pressed on an emotion or a, or a, a boss puts a thumb on a situation or there's tension in a marriage. That's not a, a great tension. One produces music Music, the other one produces chaos, and we are living with lives full of tension. Now, if you're here, if you're online or you're here in one of our locations and you're investigating the claims of Christ, you really wouldn't consider you, maybe you consider yourself a religious person, but you wouldn't consider yourself a Christ follower. I want you to know that we've really designed this church with you in mind to come and be a safe place. You can learn and investigate the claims of Christ and find and follow him at, at your pace. But I will say, if you're not a Christian, you don't have to do anything that I'm talking about today. So if the best thing I give you is about a 35 minute nap, great, okay? Like be rested and enjoy the championship games today in the afternoon. But if you're a Christ follower, you can't ignore, you can't like push the mute button, okay? Like you can't push the mute button on me and not hear what I'm saying. You're obligated to be not just knowers of the word, but doers of the word. And one of the greatest tensions that we live in is who Jesus is and who I am. Because who I am ain't who Jesus is many times. And I want to become more and more like Christ. The Bible says he must increase, I must decrease, but I just love to increase. I love to have my way. I love to have the last word in edgewise. Um, I struggle within this tension of who Jesus is and who he's calling me to be and my flesh and who I am. And in that tension of who Jesus is, who's completely human and completely divine, was lived, lived a sinless life, uh, but even though he was tempted, that he left heaven to come to earth, but yet he still has a will that he sees in heaven that he desires for his Christ followers to follow and implement on earth. That tension we live in, you and I are in the world, but we're not of the world. And we're called to be quick to listen and slow to speak. That's a huge challenge. We love to be quick to speak and slow to listen. He's called us to be uh, sheep among wolves as Christ followers. And in order to operate in that way, we gotta be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. I've mentioned it before, but that's, that's wise as a serpent, cunning, agile, able to move around, quick thinking, 
but harmless as a dove, like there's something beautiful. You don't throw a bunch of snakes at the bride and groom at the end of the wedding. You throw doves, you know? I don't know if you throw the doves at the groom and bride, but you know, you can just like release the doves. You don't release the snakes. I mean, maybe in some charismatic circles, you do release the snakes, I don't know. That's not this church. That's not this church <laughs> yet. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I call those being snake birds. That's the Timber Creek mascot for 2021. We're gonna be Timber Creek snake birds, wise as serpents, harmless as doves. The tension between when God says, whoa, easy, and culture says, go, 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 don't worry about it. You and I are living in a culture that is moving further away from God. That's a season that we've been in for a while where we're not moving closer to God. The the more we move closer to God, the more our lives are transformed. The further away we move from God, the more trouble we have. And we have trouble. We have trouble regardless of your political preference. We've got trouble and we're dealing with the tensions of a God that says, woe on things and a culture says, go on things. And really that comes down to the spirit of God inviting us to stand firm and a spirit of darkness inviting us to compromise. The question is, Will you stand firm in a culture of compromise? If only there was a roadmap, if only there was a playbook on how to navigate the tensions of this culture. Well, this is where we get the entire book of Daniel. In the Old Testament, Daniel, the, uh, the Israeli who is taken into captive as a teenager, forced out of his nobility and his royalty, he, is, he becomes a prisoner as a teenager and lives his entire adult life as a captive in Babylon. And in chapter one, we see that this culture of compromise wants to do whatever it can to strip away your real value and your identity. And the first thing that Babylon does is rename Daniel from Daniel to Belteshazzar. Daniel means his original language meant God is my judge. His name Belteshazzar, the king would say, no, no, your name means lady protect the king. He was dealing with his own identity. He was also placed underneath the authority of the chief of the eunuchs. And history shows us that more than likely, Daniel and his three amigos, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that they were most likely castrated, became eunuchs, emasculated in order to not be able to reproduce, in order to not have a family, that their only family, their only devotion, their only loyalty was to the king and the king alone in his palace and his region. They gave up a lot. Culture wants to spiritually take away your, your vibrancy, spiritually take away your ability to be fruitful and multiply the kingdom of God. In Daniel chapter two, we see Daniel beginning to get a name for himself as he puts God first and he's able to use his gifting spiritually to get in with the king and he becomes a leader in the kingdom. 20 years passes in Daniel chapter three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, they come to this point where they, they have to answer the question, can I worship God and stand firm with God even if I didn't get the life I really wanted? And they were prisoners too. And when the king said, you're gonna, you're gonna bow before me, they didn't, they stood strong. And, and in this culture that demands that you worship the things of this world, that invites you to bow down to the images that this culture wants to build, How do you stand true? If you haven't listened to any of these, if this is your first time joining us, I invite you to go to timbercreekchurch.com or download our app and listen to the podcast uh, to, to get caught up as we now are 30 years from when Daniel was taken captive and we get to Daniel chapter four and we're gonna talk about this issue that you and I feel tension with and it's the issue of confrontation. Confrontation, conflict. And I want to give you some helpful handlebars, some biblical advice that you can use Monday through Saturday. I am disinterested in you coming and hearing a pastor preach and you hear a bunch of stuff that's biblical but isn't helpful. That, that, that may be from the Bible, but how do you apply it to your life? And what I want to do is give you some biblically sound advice for everyday life on confrontation done Correctly, But the truth, of us, the truth of the matter is, most of us, if we're being honest with ourselves and one another and we look at our own way of confrontation, we really, the best examples we have are confrontation done wrong. Okay, raise your hands. How many of you, all locations, you have ever been confronted by someone 
and they like, you don't know me. Like, like they, they confronted you and they did not do it in the right way. Anybody ever have had that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too, me too, okay? How many of you, raise your hands, some of them were Christians. Like they were Christians and they confronted you. Are you kidding me? Right? You know, some of you, you're married. You got both hands up because you know what it's like. Confrontation done wrong in that marriage. Okay. I mean, people confront outside the church in the wrong way, confront inside the church and they get their attitudes all twisted up. I mean, Christians confronting in a completely un-Christ-like way. Take, for example, for example, take this guy right, take this guy right here. I mean, I know you're visiting Timber Creek today. But like we have a sign, say, I know you didn't, I know we covered some seats, we got seat covers, and you don't like it that we cover your seat. I know sometimes the worship center is too cold, and so you're, you're trying to make a statement that the auditorium's too cold, and you wanted to, I know that Pastor Cody or Tyler over at the Nagadoches location doesn't sing the songs you like to sing, or it's too loud, or it's not loud enough. I get it, okay, okay, and you're just gonna sit there and be upset, because I didn't preach more on, I, 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 you know, I didn't preach enough about politics this last year. I get it. Anyway, moving on. Okay. <laughs> we all deal with confrontation. How do we deal with it in the correct way? Daniel chapter four is really a pathway, a playbook on effective confrontation when it comes to the moral compass of the Christ follower being the Bible and Christ followers being salt and light in a world that is desperately in need of salt because it's in desperate need of a savior. We go to Daniel chapter four and interestingly enough, it is the only chapter ever uh, in the entire Bible that is written by a pagan king. It, this is a non-God follower and this is part of his autobiography. It's not really a testimony. A testimony is where you give, you, you tell your story and you give glory to God. An autobiography is really, you tell your story and you give glory to yourself. He's really giving glory to himself, so it's not really a testimony, it's an autobiography. But we can learn a lot from King Nebuchadnezzar in his autobiography, part of it that's tucked away in Daniel chapter four. Starting with verse four, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was living in my palace in comfort and prosperity. Minding his own beeswax, he's living in comfort and prosperity. Pause. One of the challenges you and I will face is success. I know that people want to buy books on how to be successful, but do you know that one of the greatest challenges you'll ever face is success? Well, I'd sure like to, to try. You know, I'd like, I'd like to just at least feel it. Here's what happens. Success feeds pride. And if you're not careful, when you become successful, it can feed your pride and your pride can kill your urgency and urgency develops complacency. And the hunger that you had to succeed, it gets washed out with the pride and you find yourself in apathy and complacency. Success can feed pride. And Nebuchadnezzar, he has had success. I think that's part of why our nation is where our nation is. 4% of the entire world's population, and we've been all oh, very successful in a lot of ways. And it feeds and feeds one of the chief sins, and that's pride. And it can, we can lose urgency, we get complacent, we get apathetic, we can happen in the church, it can happen in your life, it can happen anywhere, and it's happening in Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. I was living in palace and in the comfort and prosperity. Things were good. Stock market was up. Building cranes everywhere. Cool different stuff going on. But one night, I had a dream that frightened me, Nebuchadnezzar says. I saw visions that terrified the junk out of me. That's the JY version. As I lay in my bed. So I woke up in a cold sweat and I was like, oh. He's got this crazy vision and it's not the first time that he's ever had like a spiritual moment in his dreams. 
So here's how he responds. So I issued an order calling in all the wise men of Babylon so they could tell me what my dream meant. I've mentioned this the last couple of weeks, but let me remind you, whatever God creates, Satan counterfeits. Whatever God creates, Satan counterfeits. God has a kingdom, Satan will counterfeit the kingdom. God has a king, Satan will counterfeit a king. God has true worship, Satan will counterfeit, counterfeit worship. God has real faith, Satan will counterfeit faith, and it's actually fear. Fear is faith backwards. Fear is faith in the wrong kingdom. When you are so afraid of what's happening in this world, you're putting all your faith in what's happening in this world versus putting all your faith in the one who created the world. So here's what he does. He has the counterfeit experts. He's got the counterfeit wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but he calls it the wise men of that counterfeit culture so they could tell him what his dream meant. And, and, and here's when all the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, fortune tellers came in, I told them the dream and, and here, here was the dream. In essence, it's like 20 verses long, so I'll give you the highlights. In essence, Nebuchadnezzar is, is dreaming and he sees this massive tree that you can't even see the top of. It goes into the clouds and the branches are so massive. It's not like anything you've seen. It, it crosses county lines. It's, it, it covers, it creates like an umbrella of lush um, green. You hardly can even see the sky through it. And, and underneath this massive tree, Birds are in the tree and they're being nourished by the fruit. The cattle, the, the grass is so lush in the shade. The cattle are, are enjoying the, 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 the grass and everybody's receiving their nourishment from all the branches and the fruit that's growing on this massive tree. But then a messenger of God shows up with an ax and he chops away at the tree. And this massive tree that's producing everything topples down and all that's left is a stump. The messenger of God says, this stump is all that remains. It can grow back, but you as well, not you, but it says, and he, now we don't know who we're talking about. He's talking about the king. He doesn't know that yet, but he's going to find out. He says, and he will lose his mind. And it basically starts to describe that there's somebody in this story that for seven years, they're going to go completely bananas. And they're going to act like a beast and they're going to roam around on all fours in the grass. They're going to eat like a cow. They're going to live like a cow. They're going to live like a beast in the forest for seven years, strip all their clothes out. They're going to sweat like crazy. The dew of the earth's going to be all over them and they're going to be just mentally off. And... Nebuchadnezzar brings in his wise men and says, so here's the dream. It was this tree. It's massive. And then there's this guy. There's this guy in it that like he loses his mind and he's out acting like an animal for seven years. And the Bible says that the wise men could not tell me what it meant. <laughs> you know what it means and I know what it means. He's the strongest power in all, of, in all of the world right now. So obviously the tree represents the kingdom. Everybody's getting nourished. He's got such this pride that he's always dealt with. He built a huge statue. Like the guy knows, it, but he's, he's afraid to admit it, Nebuchadnezzar. And then the wise men, have you ever heard the statement, don't kill the messenger? They're like, we don't, you know, this is interesting. We don't know. What do, you, what do you think, Luke? I don't know, Keith. What do you think? And they're like, yeah. And Nebuchadnezzar's like, I'm trying to figure out who the guy is that loses his brain. And they're like, <laughs> they don't want to say. They can't help him because they're afraid if they tell him the truth, they don't want to confront. They're not willing to confront, afraid of what the confrontation might lead in their own life. And so, because Daniel has been there for now 30 years, at last. I love those words, at last. At last. Daniel came in before me. Do, do, you, do you feel that uh, breath of fresh air? Do you feel that feeling of, oh, finally, Daniel, I've been waiting for somebody who'll speak the truth with me. Daniel came in before me and I told him the dream. Now he was named Belteshazzar after my God and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. Listen, in this day and age, you and I think that the only way that we're gonna get our message across is by power. 
by forcing it, by making people choke on it. But there's something about being strong. Daniel never had to force himself. He stood strong. Nebuchadnezzar noticed there was something different about who Daniel was than anybody else. Can I say something to you? I believe it's gonna be ever increasing that Christian character and Christian attributes are going to be more and more noses thumbed up toward them in the meantime. This has nothing to do with who's in the White House. This has to do with history repeating itself as it did in the Bible. Even Israel would stay true to God for a while and then put a middle finger up to God. And I want you to know that in your place of work, in your home, being a Christ follower and humbling yourself and having Christ-like convictions, character, and conduct may not get you very far in the sphere of friendship influence. But I want to tell you something. There is going to come a time where someone who thumbs their nose at you now, when they are in the intersection of hopelessness, when they're in the intersection of being distraught, when they wake up terrified, when the marriage is over, when the finances dry up, when their child is sick, they're gonna think through, who do I know that seems solid? And I believe that God is calling people like you at Timber Creek to be the at-last people. The at-last people. Not the people that just show up and give an opinion every single time someone's asking of it. But you would be an at-last Jenny. You would be an at-last John. You would be an at-last kind of person. That, that when they finally are willing to say, I need help, that at last you have proven yourself faithful and stand firm when everybody else in the culture is compromising, let it be Jesus. Let us be some at last people in the middle of a crazy culture. Now here's what it gives us. This, this chapter gives us four key, key ways to deal with confrontation in the right way. Number one, write it down. Relationship creates the context for confrontation. Daniel had served this king for 30 years. He was faithful. He had exceptional qualities. He did the regular things really, really well. You want to be an at-last person like Daniel? Show up to work on time. Who cares if you can sing the next Elevation Worship song if you're walking in late? Like, be someone who can, can really have exceptional qualities and the regular things really, really well. Do you know what an exceptional, regular thing really, really well is? I'm going to show you. It's, gonna, it's a game changer. You ready? I'm gonna, I got it. It's, it's, it's going to change your life. Here it is. You ready? Smile. In the words, in the words of Aaron Burr from the Broadway smash hit Hamilton, talk less. Smile more. Like you are called to smile. It's part of your uniform. Like if you're a Christian, part of your uniform, I know you got the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and all that stuff, and that's important. But you need like a smile for crying out loud. Everybody smile. Come on, all locations, just smile. You can say things. You can say things that you normally wouldn't be able to say when you smile. My 12-year-old son, Graham, Graham, <laughs> this is the third time I've told you to go feed the dog. <laughs> I'm going to beat you senseless <laughs> if you don't go feed Molly right now, okay? Okay? Okay, pumpkin? Okay? It's amazing what you can do with a smile on relationship creates the context for confrontation. Anyone ever confronted you that had no relationship with you? You don't even know me. You don't know my situation. You don't know my finances. You don't know what I've sacrificed. You don't know what I've been through. You're going to judge me. You don't even know. You don't know me. That's the problem people have with judging. I mean, people judge all the time. In fact, the Bible gives us the authority to make proper judgments. But what happens is not so much the judging, it's the confrontation without having relationship. Can I say something to you, Christians? Like some of you, one of the best things you could do to, to like really get your testimony out there is shut up. Like one of the best, like you could raise your wisdom level by 14%. Like sh shut up. 
The proverb says, even though someone looks wise who when they keep their mouth shut, smile and shut up. Relationship creates the context. I mean, this is family, this is marriage, this is husband and wife, this is coworkers. And when it comes to family, rules without relationship leads to rebellion. Well, it's gonna be my way or the highway. Okay, then it'll be the highway eventually, eventually. Well, they're gonna respect me. Sure, they'll respect you for a time, but can I tell you, real respect is built with trust, not demands. Rules without relationship leads to rebellion. Dear Lord, do you know why so many Christians have a problem with hell these days? It's not just because, uh, it's, it's not because, I don't think the main reason is like, how could a loving God send someone to hell? It's because the church for a long, long time was way more about rules with Jesus than relationship with Jesus. And we were more about scaring the hell out of people about an angry God and afraid of burning in eternity versus all the beautiful, wonderful, holy, kind, free attributes of who Jesus is. So what we did is we went through this season in a lot of churches where we just went on and told people how terrible they are and how much God is mad. I can tell you, 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 you don't pick a spouse by being scared of being single. And you don't choose God because you're scared of what he might do if you don't. He's a loving God who really is way beyond the rules because Jesus came and fulfilled all the rules. He's about relationship. Now, if you have relationship, you then want to obey what he says, but it starts with love, not legalism. It starts with relationship, not rules. Rules without relationship lead to rebellion. Truth without relationship leads to rejection. So you can have the truth, but if you don't have relationship, there's not, there's not the grease on the skids to get the conversation going. Well, I'm going to tell it how it is. I'm going to let them know. And you can be right and rude. And even when you're right, when you're rude, you're wrong. If you have no relationship, and especially if someone's acting off their rocker who's not a Christian, why are you expecting them to act like a Christian? Duh. Like, like you're acting exactly like you're supposed to act without Christ. What really blows your mind is when Christians don't act like Christians to confront people in a way that's unchristlike because of their unchristlike character. That's what's like crazy. You're not, I, I don't, you may not get a thing out of this today, but I'm getting a lot off of my chest this morning, okay? Let me encourage you, connection before correction. Connect with people, connect with people. You don't have, they don't have to, hey, I'd love to get to know you, but before we do, I just wanna tell you how I feel about your, about your, your sexuality. Hey, hey, before we do, I just wanna know, <laughs> uh, uh, Trump 24, 24. Okay, like, like, like you, you, don't, you don't have to, stop, stop. Connection before correction. So a question I have for you, have I invested in a relationship with the person I'm confronting? So like you have a son or a daughter, when's the last time you've invested, you, you see them going down a path, but have you invested in the connection and the relationship and the love before you bring out the iron trying to sharpen iron? Have I invested in a relationship with the person I'm confronting? And this happens all the time, but it happens every day right on social media. Social media has become a platform for unhealthy, terrible confrontation. Confrontation done the unbiblical way. Let me say it this way. Social media is the greatest mission field that's ever existed in the history of the world. And Christians are ruining themselves. Christians are ruining their opportunity in the greatest harvest field that's ever existed. You can reach more people on social media than any other platform that's existed in humanity. So, real quick, 
I want to give you a sermon within a sermon. The sermon within a sermon. You're like, you already give us three every Sunday and it's supposed to be one. Now you're going to give us a sermon within a sermon? Okay, okay, okay. Easy. Five mistakes Christians make on social media. Write them down fast. Christians make these mistakes. You made it yesterday. You know who you are, Susie. Five mistakes Christians make on social media. Negative rants. Negative rants. Negative numchuck verbal attacks on social media. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth other than what is useful for and helpful to people. The book of Ephesians, it's in the Bible, says. Negative rants. I mean, two Christians can attend the same church and then go crazy beast mode UFC on Facebook. In fact, this might embarrass somebody, they might be in the service today, I actually pulled something off of social media Two Christ followers in this church having a big old fight online, and I, I got the posts, and I, I blacked out their names, but I'm, we're gonna read it together. Some of you just got so uncomfortable, it's crazy. Let that be a sign to you. Let that be a sign, you never know what old PJY gonna do. Okay, okay, so here we go. I have actual, not only do I have the posts, I have video of them confronting each other. Take a look, here it is, they're on, they're on Facebook. Now they're, they're at church, dream teams, checking their kids in at KidWorks. Hey, how you doing, hey, good to see you, good to see you. Oh, political post, political post, political, you're terrible. Hey, how you doing, Sally? Hey, blessed to be a blessing, everybody. Okay, thank you. As silly as that is, that is some of us on Facebook right now. Leaning to this, leaning to that, instead of leaning not. Negative rants. Here's another one. Intentionally offensive. Like you're not accidentally, like you were saying, I'm going to, I'm gonna burn it up with these words. Intentionally offensive? Is that Jesus? No. No, out of control emotions. You let your emotions get so heated up, then you blurt them out on a public forum. I, I, I do wanna say to you, that stuff is public for a long time. People see that. You're putting your, you're putting your testimony and your future in jeopardy when you do things like that. Can, can, can I tell you, I have been confronted by loving people that I love, but are mad at me because I don't say enough about their opinion on Facebook. And, and I, I guess I just would rather live in the messy middle where, where, I don't, where, where I don't give up a sphere of influence because I just wanna get the last word in. I'd rather, I'd rather be a, a Christian anyone can come to, a pastor anyone can come talk to in their time of need than a pastor's just gonna know for putting people on blast. I mean, that's just me. Out of control emotions never produce God honoring results in your life, never. Here's a problem. Many of us are showing that we put more faith in conspiracy theories than scripture. Do you realize that social media knows your brain better than you know your brain? They know your patterns better than you know your patterns. If I were to ask you without looking, how much time did you spend on your screen this, year, this, this week? Some of you, I can tell you, most of you would say, oh, this many minutes or this many hours, and you would not truly know, but it knows. It knows. Like my mom always used to say when she caught me in a lie, Jesus knows. <laughs> so does Facebook. <laughs> like, they know how much time, they know how much time you've been spending, and they know what you want to buy, and they know what color it is. I mean, they know, like, they know. And, and you can put more faith in a conspiracy and a, and a political agenda than scripture. And scripture has been solid since the beginning of time that Jesus is in charge of whoever's in charge, no matter what happens, no matter what's going on, whether there's aliens in Area 51 taking it to whatever, or there's this people, or there's this gate, or that gate, or whatever gate, Jesus says, I'm the, I'm the gate. Follow me. If there's, a, if there's a conspiracy to follow, let it be a conspiracy of kindness for people. That'll preach. Ultimately, misrepresenting Jesus. And because you shoot your mouth off at the thumbs, you shoot your testimony in the face. And, I, and look, I'm, I'm with you. 
I don't do it so much on social media. I hide my stuff. <laughs> like I, I shoot my mouth off with my wife. I want to get the last word in edgewise. I go on a negative rant. I can have an out of control emotion. I have more faith in the conspiracy that she's, she's, she's out to, you, you, you said that and you meant to hurt my feelings about that. Then the truth, then the truth. And I misrepresent Jesus to my family. I'm not preaching from a place of perfection. I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to preach from a place of honesty and stuff that's gonna help us, help the world see us and, and not lose our saltiness and stop blowing out the light that's supposed to light a candle in the darkness instead of cursing the darkness. We got churches just wanting to curse the darkness everywhere, like light a candle for crying out loud. All right, I'm done. Number two, I'm not done, but I'm done with that part. That was the, that was the sermon within a sermon. You're welcome. All right. Number two, the spirit of Babylon versus the spirit of God. In the spirit of Babylon, the goal is retaliation. When I will confront someone and I got the wrong spirit, it's to retaliate, it's to be right, it's to get the last word in edgewise, but that's not what God's called us to. He's called us to the spirit of God and the spirit of God, the goal of confrontation is reconciliation, to balance things. And beyond that, you would write restoration, reconciliation and restoration. So the question I have for you is, am I confronting to be right or for reconciliation and restoration. When I confront. But if I don't say something, no one will. That's, that's not true. <laughs> like, somebody gonna say something, okay? Like, like, be wise with your words. Am I confronting to be right or reconciliation and restoration? Now, watch how Daniel confronts the reality that Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom is about ready to be chopped down at its roots that Nebuchadnezzar's getting ready to lose his mind. At first, Daniel, who had been renamed Belteshazzar in Babylon, was upset. He's terrified, he's scared. What's gonna happen if I stand strong here? And so Belteshazzar replied, King, I wish the events foreshadowed in this dream would happen to your enemies, my Lord, and not to you. This is the same king that stripped him from his family that took him into captivity, that, that stole his dreams of a family, and yet he led with humility. Can I tell you something that our culture, believe it or not, doesn't value anymore? We think we do, but we don't. You're not going to win arguments. You think you've got the best statement. The best statement doesn't win arguments. The best statement doesn't cool things off. Because here's why, here, here, here's the truth. We don't value logic like we should. We value logic, but we don't value it like we should. So do you know what we value more than logic? Opinions, feelings, and emotions. If it feels good, do it. That is not logical. That is not logical. Whatever you feel, it, that's truth for you. That's not logic. I can barely bring up conversation of gender realities and uh, transgender uh, conversation without somebody already, just me saying that, being put on alert wondering what's the transphobic theme I'm about to say. <laughs> Biology is a logical thing, but, but we can get so wrapped up in the emotion and the reality and identity that then we start confronting people who are dealing with real issues. We don't have relationship, so it doesn't even matter what logical conversation you wanna have with people. It doesn't matter because we so overvalue all these other things. But can I tell you something that you cannot argue with? Do you want the secret that you, you cannot argue with this? Humility. When you humble yourself, it's amazing the kind of conversations you can have. You're trying to lead with logic and Jesus didn't invite you to uh, win people over with their brain. He invited you to humble yourself and he will lift you up. Number three, humility is the posture of effective confrontation. 
demanding your way versus humbling yourself. Do you know that humility helps you be wise as a serpent, harmless as dove? Humility helps you be quick to listen and slow to speak. Do you know what pride makes you do? Talk more, smile less, talk more, listen less. That's what pride does. Humility is the posture. I have learned if I am stacked with enough humility, I can learn from anybody whether I agree with them or not. And Jesus was the most humble of them all. You wanna be like Jesus? Stack yourself with humility because pride is the petri dish of all the other kinds of evil that wants to grow in your life. Paul says it like this in Galatians, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, whatever sin, well, you mean that sin? I mean any sin, whatever sin, some sin, because sin isn't the act you commit, it's really the authority that you reject and then it extrapolates out by the act. But whatever some sin, if another believer, another believer, look at that, look at that, ooh, would you look at that? If another believer is overcome by some sin, it doesn't say if pagans are overcome by some sin, because guess what pagans have? Sin. They're not overcome by it. They live in it. But guess who does get overcome by sin a time of two or 12 every week? You and me. And if we have a believer that's overcome by some sin, you who are godly should what, everybody? Come on, Nacogdoches, what? Come on, Lufkin, one more time. And what, everybody? That don't sound good to me. That's not the way we do it in East Texas. <laughs> Those that are gently, do it gently and humbly, help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. The same temptation isn't the lust. The same temptation isn't the adultery. The same temptation isn't the financial impropriety. The same temptation isn't the attitude out of control. The same temptation is pride because it's the Petri dish. Pride is the chief of all sins because it says I'm in control and I want to be in charge and I want to sit on the throne. Write it down. When you confront pride with pride, it always divide. Your pride to confront pride, guaranteed to divide. So now that I've got some tools here under my tool belt on the whole confrontation thing, I'm thinking of a couple people I need to reach out on Facebook. You know, I'm thinking I can't wait to finally, now that I know I've got relationship with them, I'm going to be humble. I want to be humble. <laughs> Bless God. I'm going to, I'm, the goal is reconciliation, I promise. But, but let me say something to you, okay? Okay. If, if, if I can't wait to confront someone, I'm not ready. <laughs> like if you've got someone in your mind, bless God, you're going to use this tool. Like you're not ready. You're not ready for it. Now watch how Daniel puts a bow on this whole thing. Watch how Daniel finishes this strong confrontation. Here's the deal, man. Here, here's, here's what it is, O king. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you. So it's not all bad. It's not all bad. It will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. There's a promise, but there's a if. There's an if-then proposition. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and, and heal their land. Sometimes he heals through discipline. If my people who are called by my name, if, then I'll do this. There's promises. If you do this, there's a promise. It'll be restored to you, but you've got to acknowledge that heaven rules because you're the one that rules. So therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. He doesn't cram it down his throat. He offers it and he gives them hard truth, but he, he places it in a plate that is, he places it edible, like, like peanut butter around the pill for your puppy. He makes it edible for him. He says, therefore, majesty, please, be, please accept this advice. Renounce your sins by doing what's right. That's what you want for your kid. And you don't know why they won't listen to you. I want to suggest that maybe we're not approaching it in the right way. Because you can be right and you can have truth and be rejected if you're wrong in the way you handle it. Let your wickedness, forget the wickedness, be kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. It's the fourth piece. Hope has to be given for confrontation to sink in. Can I tell you that no matter where we are right now, there's always hope because Jesus is in charge. 
Jesus is still on the throne. He's still sovereign. He's still good. He's still God. He's still wooing people. The spirit of the Lord is still existing among the earth. He's still calling people unto himself that where he is, you can be also. He's preparing a place in heaven. You don't prepare it. He prepares it and he loves you and he's kind that he was, he's so patient with you that he would wait for you to even this moment to make things right with him. Hope has to be given and the church The mobilized church, I believe, is the hope of the world. And we've not been trafficking in hope. We've been trafficking in despair these days. We've we've been trafficking conspiracies more than Christ. We've been trafficking hopelessness over hope. Speak the truth. Speak the truth in love. We have to confront. We have to stand true and be salt and light. But there is hope, everybody. And so the question is, am I confronting to provide hope or humiliation? Am I getting the last word in edgewise? Am I here to retaliate or to reconcile? So when you examine these four areas in your life, my relationship, my reconciliation, if that person on Facebook that you're wanting to bout with, you don't even have their contact information in your phone, they're probably not that close of a friend. Okay, yeah, you went to school, you went to high school with them back in 74. They ain't your friend. Now, here's the, here's the cool thing. Here's my guarantee for you. If you do all of these things and you do them over and over and over and you become an expert at them, if you think about them, if you dwell on them, if you pray over them, if you offer them to the Lord, this, all these four things, here's, here's the guarantee. Here's a guarantee, write it down. There isn't one. Because as they say, it takes two to tango. And you can have the truth and you can have relationship and you can confront and they can spit in your face. Do you know that some people, you are waiting for an apology that will never come. You're waiting for the reconciliation and you're, you, you've got the humility and you've got the hope and the apology's never gonna come and you're waiting on the apology to forgive. And what I wanna say to you is you gotta forgive. Whatever they do, there's no guarantee. So you gotta forgive, palms up, open-handed, trusting God that his way is higher. Some of you are just, why won't they listen to reason? And it makes sense, it's logical you're not going to win them over. Listen, I've heard a lot of people's salvation stories. I have never heard a single salvation story that started like this. I wasn't saved. I didn't, I had my own theories about God. And and honestly, I was far away from God, didn't even care about it. But then some Christians, uh, they ripped me to shreds on Facebook and it opened my eyes to the love of Jesus. That's never been a conversation. In 17 years of being on staff at this church, 21 years in ministry, never had that conversation. Someone was just really, really mean to me. They had the truth, but they were just like, ah, and I just said, oh, that's the God I want to serve. (laughs) Never happened and never will. The takeaway is not, let me tell you what the takeaway isn't. Who do I need to confront? (laughs) Who do I need to stand? I need to stand on the promises of God. Do you know that, that the Bible, Psalm 35 says, Contend for me, Lord. Contend for me. That word contend means to physically defend and verbally defend. So God will be your cage fighter and your courtroom lawyer. Contend for me, Lord. So the question is not who do I need to confront, but really where do I need to grow? Do I gotta be quick to listen and slow to speak? Do, do I, am I the boss over some employees and I call myself a Christ follower, but the way I treat employees, even though they should do what I ask them to do, am I not leading with the right fruit? Where do I need to grow? We end with this, Nebuchadnezzar, it wasn't a guarantee because he heard all of it and he didn't return. And he lived seven years mentally insane walking like a beast in the field, naked, sweat, out of his mind. But when he turns it back, when he comes back to his senses, the autobiography ends, I, Nebuchadnezzar, I praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven. Because everything he does is right. All his ways are just. 
And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Look at me, everybody. If your goal is restoration, you're gonna always confront with humility and hope. And that's what Jesus did. He saw the issue of sin that needed to be confronted on this world. And for God so loved the world, he did not, he did not flood the earth again. He sent his one and only son. For God so loved the world, he sent a servant. For God so loved the world, he sent relationship. For God so loved the world, he sent someone humble. Not with just a message of destruction, not just with holiness, but with hope and grace. And we see in this story, the counterfeit king and the real king. Nebuchadnezzar, he led with pride, but the real king, the king of the all kings, Jesus, he leads with humility. Listen to him, be like him. The counterfeit king, he was a tree that was cut down. He had his heyday, but he was brought low. The real king, he took on a tree. He was lifted up on a tree that if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. Completely humbled himself, naked on a cross to pay for what you could never pay for to confront the reality that you try to be your own king too. In a culture of compromise, Jesus will give you what you need to stand strong and to love well. Would you close your eyes with me, bow your heads. Before we do business today, the number one thing we need to do is we need to evaluate who's on the throne of my life. If you came in today and you know that answer is Jesus, I invite you to just verbally relinquish any, any pride that you have shown lately. Jesus, be, you're, you're the king, I'm not. But maybe you walked into one of our locations or you're watching online and the truth is you tried to do things yourself. You tried to be your own king and you really wouldn't say it that way, but when, when anything else is in the center of your life except Jesus, that's pride and that's sin and that's us being a counterfeit king for our life. But Jesus doesn't want you to stay there. Humbly, he wants to confront your sin and he did it on the cross and he washed it away and you can be free today. Right now, you would simply say, Jesus, I surrender to you. Be the Lord of my life. I don't have all the answers, but I, I believe you are the answer. Will you help me? I've been trying to do things all wrong and I, I wanna do them the way you would want me to do them. You are who you say you are, the son of God who died for me and I wanna live for you. Thank you, Jesus, for not being mad at me today, but for loving me so much you would give me this moment to confront my sin and give it to you because I can't fix it, only you can. And you don't just fix it, you wash it away. Thank you, Jesus, for a fresh start today. Eyes closed, heads still bowed. If you're here and there's been a, a confrontation that's brought a hurt in your life, or you've got to stand for something that's true and you've been struggling with how to go about that, or you just want to be the, the example of humility in your home, regardless of how it applies to you, you say, Jesus, I, I want this sermon to apply to my Monday through Saturday. I wanna pray for you. If that's you, would you just put a hand up? My hand's up too. 